Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 55 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 55 of Inside Quizzing, we will be doing our typical chapter overview. This week will be on 1 Peter chapter 4. And then we're going to talk about a couple of different things. First, we're going to talk about evangelizing uh, quizzing. More specifically, we're going to be talking about how to start a program at your local church if there isn't one already, or if you are already involved, uh, if, which is in quizzing in some way, which is pretty likely if you're listening to the podcast right now, uh, maybe more appropriate would be how to get a nearby church, uh, interested and kind of engaged and maybe starting a program at that church. And then we'll talk a bit about the, uh, Great West Invitational that's coming up, uh, sort of the when, where, why, how, uh, and all sorts of stuff that's there. And then we'll talk about sort of a Great West team formation models around like good ideas, maybe less good ideas, and why some ideas are gooder than others. And then we'll talk about uh, internationals, uh, international Bible quizzing, which is coming up in uh, July, uh, the first part of July. We'll talk about the when, where, why, and how, and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. All right, so with that said, we are jumping in to First Peter chapter 4. And uh, Scott, what are your thoughts? So this is our last chapter for Meet 4, correct? That is correct. And uh, yeah, it is only four days away. So especially as we get late into the year, the last ch- chapter of each Meet's new material is historically the least well-known. Um, and so I I am guessing that First Peter 4 will be no different. And given that half of the questions are going to come from, I believe it's First Peter 1 through 4, um, and if... First Peter 4 specifically is the least well-known, then any enterprising quizzer who wants to work a little bit harder on First Peter 4 could clean up on some slow jumps or no jumps on this chapter. There is a lot of PNW key verses. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 of the 19 verses are key within PNW. It's a very short chapter, so reference specialists and quote specialists can go crazy. You don't really have to watch a whole lot on the speed, um, especially if you know how to listen to the Quizmaster's inflection to know the difference between verse 9 and verse 19, then you can really fly on this chapter. Um, and since key verses are hotly contested, if you have the ability to know between 9 and 19, looks like that's the only real conflict in this chapter, then you can really pin your ears back and jump fast. Other than that, I don't know how much else to say. There's all levels of uniqueness spread throughout this chapter. It looks it looks like there's a ton in verse 3, but most of those global unique words are in a list, which do not lend themselves to um, being asked in interrogative questions. So I would not guess that any of those words, so debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry, almost none of those will be asked in, in an interrogative question. Maybe detestable what or what idolatry, but that's just about it. It. So if you want to really memorize a couple global unique words that will be the basis for uh, interrogative questions, um, maybe verse 6, maybe verse 12 would be good ones to target. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, verse 3 definitely caught my eye. Uh, you figure that one is absolutely going to be a multiple answer, uh, and it's going to come up for sure. 
uh, 19 verses, uh, it's a pretty short chapter. I, I don't think it's the shortest chapter, uh, in the, in the whole set, but it is awfully short. So, you know, and as, especially with what, you know, Scott was saying, you know, chapters one through four are going to represent 50% of the questions that are in any quiz. And first Peter chapters are pretty small. So, you know, even though chapter four is small, it's still going to represent a fair number of questions. So not that I would recommend anybody not memorize something, but if you are going to not memorize something, maybe a chapter or two of Hebrews versus, you know, first Peter chapter four, I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking for like strategic choices of what can you memorize if you're not memorizing everything, uh, chapter four, first Peter is definitely where you want to put your focus. Uh, because like Scott was, what Scott was saying is absolutely true. It's going to be the least known, uh, material and it's going to represent a, a fairly large portion of the questions asked this weekend. So, you know, it, it, keep that in mind. If, you know, we've got four days, uh, before the quiz meet, uh, I think it's possible if you're listening to the sound of my voice on Monday or Tuesday here, I think it's possible you could put away 19 verses and, uh, really make that, uh, make effective use of that before the weekend. Doing some quick math here. So there's, I think 89 verses in the new material. Um, so chapter four constitutes 20% of them. Um, and if it's half the questions, 10% of the questions are going to come out of first Peter chapter four. So that's a ton. Yeah. Um, you might have as many questions coming out of first Peter chapter four as Hebrews like one through five combined. Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. Uh, you're going to get probably two or three questions from chapter four in every quiz, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, ten, well, 10% and there's, I usually estimate about 24 questions a quiz. So between two and three, a quiz. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a fair number. I mean, relative to the other material, I mean, you're not going to be able to quiz out on it or anything, but it's, uh, you know, it's certainly going to be very heavily weighted that direction. Well, other than that, I don't know that there's really anything that jumps out at me other than, you know, verse three, um, be careful about all those keywords. It's a great verse to memorize, even though it's not a key verse, just because of all those wonderful uh, unique words. I keep calling them keywords, but I don't know. I'm a creature of habit. They're actually unique words now. Um, other than that, I don't know that there's really anything particularly tricky. Uh, verses 10 and 11, you know, are, you know, a, a two, uh, quote these two verses and 11 is a fairly lengthy one. So make sure that if you happen to be a specialist, if you're, you know, jumping on uh, a quote, these two on verse 10 and 11, please recite them with a certain level of not lightning speed, not ludicrous speed, but just kind of, you know, at a decent clip, but not so fast that quiz masters won't be able to necessarily understand each and every word that you're saying. Pretty please. There's an interesting global unique word in verse 13, in as much. I think that's new from the um, most recent translation of the NIV. Um, that might be not very common or familiar to most quizzers. In verse 17, begin and begins are both global unique words. Pretty, um, I don't know, not very memorable to be unique words. So make a note of that. And then in verse three, that big long list, even though it's not going to be the basis for a lot of interrogative questions, it will definitely be the answer of a multiple answer question. And being that all of 
but yeah, all of them are global unique words. You have to get all of them exactly right. Uh, so make sure that you have that solid. Yes, indeed. So interesting. In as much, in as much is actually a word. I had to look it up. I was really not sure I wanted to, f- I, I was, I was wondering if it was a real word, but it turns out it actually is a real word according to the Oxford English Dictionary, which of course is the standard on what is English. So I suppose I will begrudgingly accept it as a a unique word. Kind of feels like old English or Canterbury Tales talk, you know? Yeah, I actually, I I don't know the, uh, what's it called? Estymology? No, wait, what's it called? The history of a word? Etymology. Etymology. Uh, It's like etymame, but but you can't eat it. Um, Yeah, I, I have a feeling this is this has traditionally been three words that have just you know probably in the last fifty years gotten smushed together. Yeah, I I should be able to remember what this was previously, but I knew Hebrews a lot better than First Peter. But I think this whole verse was worded quite a bit differently. I don't believe it even started with "but rejoice." Hmm. All right, cool. Well, anything else about uh, four? I don't think so. Just another short chapter in this material with a lot of uniqueness throughout. Yep. Very cool. All right. So let's move on to our first topic, uh, which is uh, sort of a targeted view on evangelism. Uh, Basically, in an age where Bible quizzing is unfortunately declining uh, internationally, uh, I don't mean that to say that that the program is in decline in terms of its quality, quite the quite the opposite. But uh, the number of people, the number of districts who are involved, the number of churches who are involved, uh, the size of the participation of the program is, uh, you know, it, it's it's struggling um, from t- from place to place. We've got uh, certain districts in Canada and the U.S. that uh, no longer uh, run uh, Bible quizzing that used to uh, in not too fairly distant memory. And a lot of the other districts that are around are um, are shrinking to some degree or another. And uh, so, of course, in, in uh, PNW, uh, we've been focusing this year pretty heavily on how do we reverse that trend? Uh, how do we get you know, churches that used to quiz back into the program? How do we reach out to churches who have never heard of quizzing? And how do we sort of spread the word about quizzing and explain that, yeah, it's actually really, really cool and really exciting, uh, especially since, you know, if, if you've never heard of quizzing and somebody tries to, you know, describe it to you, it uh, it may seem a little bit weird and nerdy and kind of like, wow, why would I want to do that? Uh, so how can we evangelize this weird and nerdy thing that we that we all love? So uh, I will confess here, you know, despite the fact that I am an ordained pastor, I am actually terrible at evangelism. Uh, I'm kind of the guy behind the computer screen nerd character who doesn't I get excited about quizzing, but I'm actually fairly terrible at evangelizing it. Um, so before we go any further, I mean, Scott, what are kind of your experiences with evangelism in terms of quizzing? And what have you found that works or doesn't work? Well, I might I might be in a similar boat as you. I found that most often um, it was almost impossible to evangelize to people that had never heard of Bible quizzing before. Um, the best roots in were former quizzers who uh, started a program at their church or became parents of kids or quizzers, existing quizzers who brought their friends into the program, either at their church or at a different church or not from a church. And those were really the the ways that we saw growth. Uh, any attempts to um, kind of reach out to to people they didn't know about Bible quizzing was really 
difficult. Um, I think part of it is just lack of support from the denomination. You know, the denomination just doesn't care. Uh, But also I think pastors through like by necessity um, become, I don't know how to say it, like almost hostile to new programs because they want to protect the programs that they have or protect their time. And I don't mean that as a negative. It's just out of necessity, that kind of seems to be the response um, pretty universally. Yeah. Well, so how to go about, you know, altering that around? Um, I thought a lot about this between internationals this last summer and the beginning of our preseason in PNW. I, I, I think I thought about it like at least every week, uh, trying to brainstorm ideas and, and read and learn and understand because, you know, like I said, I'm just, I'm not in a natural evangelist. I'm not an extrovert. And so, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to get around this problem was, was a big deal to me. And I kind of came up with a few ideas. I'm going to kind of pitch them here. And then Scott's going to, Scott has actually not I don't think he's ever heard these ideas before, so he's going to hear them for the first time. And then I've asked him to see if he can spot any flaws in my logic or my arguments or, you know, just about anything that I, that I'm saying here. So here we go. So I, I started with the idea of identifying very crystal clear, the objective of quizzing. And ultimately I didn't come up with this. Uh, I can't take credit for it. Um, I think it may have been Scott who came up with this, but I'm not really sure. But uh, I really see the objective of quizzing as being a really simple formula. Encourage the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses, right? Now, we have we have mission statements, and we talk about, you know, all kinds of other sort of, you know, how do we go about doing that, stri- you know, strategic, systematic memorization and so forth. And all of that is well and good. But I think... Bottom line, the objective is to encourage via, you know, our, our rules, our, our processes, how we run meets, um, how we do awards, how we do recognition, everything of what we do, doing these things in such a way that we are encouraging the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses. And so, of course, that, that gives us two then metrics that we can uh, look at when we're trying to say, like, evaluate how are we doing with quizzing? Uh, are we increasing the total number of quizzers? And are we increasing the total quality, or not quality, I guess, quantity of the verses memorized? I guess quality is part of that as well. Um, although that's, I, th- I think, probably a little bit harder of a metric to to nail down, but we've got these two sort of, you know, axes that we're looking at. And so I think the way we go about doing this in terms of how do we, uh, what are the things that, that, that not the things themselves, but the groups or areas that we can use to, or disciplines that we can use as a means of attacking these two metrics of quizzing. I think there's four areas. One is competition. Uh, you know, a healthy, you know, friendly competition that, that spurs people on. There's the entertainment value of quizzing, the enjoyment of the, just the process of, of either watching quizzing and participating in quizzing. Uh, the road trips are a form of entertainment, you know, both as a, you know, as a quizzer and a coach. And then there's, uh, the third area is the fellowship that happens, uh, at quiz meets, uh, the friendships that develop, the, the, both the mentorships and the, um, 
just the deep, meaningful connections that we build there. And then the fourth area of quizzing is worship, uh, our, our means of worship. And I mean that both in terms of the sort of mini worship and devotions that we do Saturday mornings at Quizmeet, but Quizmeets, but also beyond that, the sort of the entire act of participating in quizzing, both at a Quizmeet and in, in practicing and in preparing uh, by yourself even, where you're memorizing and you're praying. It's a form of worship of God at, to go through that that process. So I think but if we can find ways of maximizing each of these categories, it helps, I think, uh, boost up quizzing. And we can do this at all different levels, right? Like quizzers can do this, coaches can do this, uh, you know, officials, leadership people can do this. I, I sort of think about it, I think we talked about this last week. What What is something that I can do today where I can improve my quizzing by 1%? What's something that I can do today that's going to improve my team's quizzing by 0.1%? What can I do to improve my church by 0.01%? And what can I do to improve the district program or the international program by some small percentage and then just keep moving that percentage? Always ask the question, what can I do? Is there anything that I can do that can improve things by by just a tiny incremental margin? Uh, and then just keep asking that question and we'll kind of be processing ourselves down the line. All right, so with that being said, Basically, I think there, we end up with these sort of four means of, of maximalization. That's not a word. There are four ways, four things that we can try to maximize to improve quizzing. And then adding in this sort of fifth idea of, of just telling people about it, which is the evangelism part. And so be between these five areas, we, hopefully we'll see growth. So, you know, number one, improve the competitional aspects of quizzing, right? So that's everything from making minor iterative adjustments to the rules to try to make things less ambiguous, more fair, uh, you know, easier for all levels of quizzing to improve within the com competitive aspects of quizzing, and then enhance the entertainment uh, stuff, things that we can do both at quiz meets and before and after. And then, you know, when churches are, you know, practicing and engaging with, uh, with their youth, what, what can we do to make it more entertaining being involved in quizzing? We can look for ways to develop it, develop more fellowship opportunities and have those fellowship opportunities be increasingly, uh, depthful. Uh, I don't know if that's a, word. I'm making up words left and right today, but ways of increasing the depth of the fellowship opportunities that come out of quizzing. And then of course, worshiping God in everything we do in quizzing in terms of the formal worship that we do in terms of the informal uh, memorization and prayer time and uh, everything that we do within a quiz meet and with outside of quiz meets, focusing on worshiping God through that. And then the fifth is telling everybody about quizzing. But of course, that's for me, one of the hardest things to do because like what Scott was saying and what I was saying before, it, we, you know, if somebody has never heard of quizzing and you're talking about, you know, this thing, this weird thing of Bible quizzing and people sitting on chairs with little pads and then they jump off of them and then they answer things. Oh, like trivia. No, no, no. It's not trivia. You memorize. You mean like word for word? Yeah. In some cases, word for word, like the entire like book of Matthew. Well, okay. Most of Matthew, you know, kind of stuff, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's very difficult for folks to wrap their mind around what you're talking about. So what I've 
tended to do is kind of just repeat the same talking points over and over again about how memorization uh, of God's word changes people's lives. I've seen it both, you know, in the lives of quizzers right now uh, in the program and past quizzers who've gone through the program. I see the change that has happened in their lives with the scripture being written on their heart as they go off into adulthood. And then the adults who have been in the program, who now have kids who are in the program, who are participating, they also uh, demonstrate uh, the change that has happened in their life because of their involvement in quizzing. So, you know, I talk about that a lot and then I'll say, but really this is not going to make any sense until you actually see it in practice or, and not in practice. I mean, when you see it actually happening at a quiz meet, right? So I'm constantly trying to invite people to show up uh, to quiz meets. This year in PNW, uh, at the beginning of the year, we appointed a person, now, now, Actually, I shouldn't take credit for this. She volunteered first. Uh, we appointed somebody to be a an official greeter at quiz meets and guide uh, at quiz meets. So basically, if you are some random person showing up who's been invited to show up to a meet and and you're you're like I'm I'm kind of curious what this quizzing thing is, she meets you at the front door, introduces herself, and walks you around the different quiz rooms and shows you what's going on and explains how how things work. You know which. You know, it's not a a significant job to do that, but it's definitely a barrier for somebody coming in, looking at this going like, I have no idea what's going on. So Kaylee does this awesome job of walking them around and, and, and showing them everything at a quiz meet and explaining what's going on. And it's, and it's, and it's fantastic. So in P&W, we had a uh, church that, I don't know, many years ago was participating in quizzing, but had dropped off. Uh, and I want to say it was at least, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. Uh, it was East Hills Alliance uh, Church out of uh, Kelso. And uh, somehow we got reconnected with them. I think it was through an email to youth pastors. And, and one of the youth pastor or the youth pastor, or maybe it was the senior pastor, just said, is anybody interested? Uh, and I'll forward you this email. A couple of parents were kind of, you know, interested. Well, this sounds interesting. I want to learn a little bit more about it. And that's how I got connected with them. And I started talking with them and Kaylee started talking with them. And I, I flew down and met with them. And their first quiz meet was this last quiz meet uh, at North Seattle Alliance uh, Church. And uh, it was fantastic because they brought two teams in and Kaylee met them and walked around with them and showed them how everything worked. And that was fantastic. Uh, now we just have to figure out how do we do that at scale? Uh, and it's, it's wonderful to have, you know, Kelso back quizzing with us, but how do we repeat that process? So I've been babbling on a lot. Um, Scott, what are your thoughts? And I'm most keen on anything that you uh, disagree with or, or want to expand on. And you're fine with me just possibly going off on tangents. Oh yes, please. Cause I did. So. I think that improving the competition is one of the most key aspects, and I am very willing to explore the idea that I am biased because that is what appealed to me about Bible quizzing. But I think for the most part, if you asked every single quizzer, how many verses, Bible verses a year would you memorize if you weren't in Bible quizzing, the answers would be very close to zero. Some of them, it might be 50, it might be 10, it might be 5, it might be 100, maybe there are other... Um, Bible studies, youth groups, Awana, other things like that. But for the most part, I think the average answer would be pretty close – or the the mode um, would be close to zero. Now, look at the top quizzers in a district. 
how many verses are you memorizing in a year? Well, between five and 800 a year. And so automatically right there I see the competition for admittedly a small subset of quizzers has radically changed the number of vile verses that they memorize. And I see a lot of positives with fostering this. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're kind of bribing youth into memorizing verses of the Bible through the entertainment, um, the competition, the entertainment, and the fellowship, right? Um, and I think it it makes sense to design a competition that caters to as many, I guess, levels of quizzing as possible. So this is why I love having bracket uh, prelims and then brackets because, I mean, not every quizzer wants to memorize the whole material, and we don't want it we don't want the point of Bible quizzing to be only for those who want to memorize the whole material. And so that's why we have a prelims and then into a a bracketed system of really only nine teams of bracket so that there's kind of something for everyone, regardless of how many verses you've memorized. And the point is to make it fun through the competition for however many verses you've memorized to get you to memorize maybe a couple more. And I just see the competition kind of working to maximize the total number of verses memorized by everybody. But then in the same vein, if we have this competition, um, if it's attractive enough for people to join and some of them to memorize the whole material and some of them to memorize a small amount, well, you're kind of just gathering youth together, which is just going to be a fun opportunity for them um, aside from the competition. So you kind of – is that what's called network effects where um, just by – attracting more people to join, um, regardless of what their specific motivation is, you make it better for everyone, regardless of everyone else's motivation. So that is what I kind of always tried to do. Like, I want the competition to be fun at some level for every single person involved so that they want it to be there. Now, there are some interesting, I guess, consequences of logistics. So when I quizzed, the district was a lot bigger, which meant we only had time in the schedule for three prelims instead of six, which is what we do now. Well, as a result, when we did only three prelims, there were obvious uh, implications for the competition, meaning any mistake that you made had much larger impacts because you're, you only had six to eight quizzes a meet the counting for your average instead of eight to ten now. So you had less time to make up for an error or a bad quiz. But – so. I guess you could call that a negative for the competition. The schedule may have been less hectic because you had more breaks. But because of the additional breaks, there were a lot more opportunities for fellowship. There were a lot of pickup basketball games. There were lots of board games. There were lots of just kind of hanging out. It seemed like there was always a game of risk that was going at each meet where people would just play when they had time in between their prelims, which they kind of always did because you only had three prelims instead of six. So... That was a really fun byproduct of not being able to have that many prelims. So, yeah, I think there's lots of interrelated factors, but I definitely kind of look quizzically at people who don't like the competitive aspect because I don't think, I think without the competition, you just don't, like, no one's going to memorize versus at this kind of scale or anything close to it. Like, we already have all kinds of summer camps or, youth groups or, you know, things like Awana that are vehicles for youth to memorize the Bible. 
and the scale is just magnitudes different. And it's not that one is better than the other. They're, they're different. But if your motivation is to memorize, like have the youth memorize as many verses as possible, I don't think there's anything close to um, what Bible quizzing can do. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, except for the whole, you know, one is not necessarily better than the other. Quizzing is absolutely the best. Everything else is second place or lower. Um, so with that being said, evangelizing, like, I don't know, do you have any brilliant insights into how to do it more? I mean, essentially the, the pattern that I find I, I fall into is basically tell everybody all the time about quizzing repeatedly until they get annoyed with me and then wait a little bit and then tell them again. Um, in hopes that eventually it will break down walls and cause people to be like, okay, fine. Like, and, and so like, like what was it earlier this year? I think it was right before the beginning of this year. I was trying to get uh, several of my sort of pastor to pastor contacts in the Pacific Northwest to attend our preseason meet, the scramble meet. And I sent out a letter uh, to each of them where I said, if you attend this meet, I promise you I will not bug you about joining quizzing for at least a year uh, in hopes that maybe that would be the catalyst that they would actually like, like come and take a look <laughs> and, and see what's going on. Uh, so I don't know, you know, if that is effective or ineffective, but certainly sticking with it and being rather, um, I don't know, borderline, if not is entirely annoying about repeatedly talking about how awesome quizzing is, I think does actually work. Um, it doesn't work a lot. And so there's probably a way that I can do it a whole lot more effectively than what I'm doing. But like, as an example, we're, you know, our meet in four days is at lighthouse. And it turns out that somebody I have been talking to about Bible quizzing for, I don't know what, four or five years is actually going to be showing up at the lighthouse meet as a guest and is going to bring her kids and is going to be looking at what quizzing is and going to be looking at potentially having her, her kids join up uh, in the off season for next, uh, the next season for the Matthew season. So, you know, that's, that's something where it's, it's this thing I'd been talking about for years and years and the sort of the stars aligned. She had the opportunity to be able to be there with her kids and it's all working out. And so I'm really excited. I'm hoping her kids kind of, you know, attach themselves to it and enjoy what they see. And uh, maybe she joins up next year. Uh, but the big thing is, is really just finding those people at churches who are willing to give it a try. I've been, you know, pestering a couple, uh, a husband and wife who are both former quizzers who are living out in the Moses Lake area. And I've been trying to get them to consider spinning up a team this year. It wasn't going to work out practically for them, but maybe next year will, and we'll be able to, you know, grow our district in, in, in sort of the Eastern hemisphere of the Pacific Northwest. And so just any ways that we can do to grow there and evangelize there, I think becomes useful, but I don't know. I don't know. Scott, do you have any kind of counter thoughts to that or additional thoughts to that? I think there are some very specific demographics dem demographics that matter. And I don't know how to get the information about how to I mean, target is a very, can be a negative word, but to reach out to them specifically. So you definitely need to have pastors at a church on board with the idea of Bible quizzing, but you need to make it abundantly clear to them that they don't have to expend anything um, as far as um, money resources or their time. But the key to that is finding someone to run the program, which ideally is a parent of many kids. Because if you have a large enough family and a parent willing to run the program, it can get 
it off the ground, even if that program leadership gets transitioned at some point. Because I think most often program leaders are parents, and it is not uncommon for programs to go away when all of those, the kids of that parent graduate high school. Um, so I think the ideal model would be to find parents of more than two kids who have not yet reached sixth grade and have their kids start quizzing with whichever existing church is closest to them. Because I think the knowledge barrier is very high, or at least it, it feels intimidating to start a program if you don't know about Bible quizzing, um, and then to kind of let it go from there. But I, I don't know how to find out about those sorts of families in an efficient manner. Yeah. So, I mean, in the uh, East Hills Kelso example, it was a, you know, a cold email to the youth pastor. I think it was to the youth pastor. It could have been the, the senior pastor, but whoever it was, one of the, one of the pastors that then, you know, in a Sunday service, he said, are there any parents interested? And it turned out that there was at least one, if not two parents who were, who, who said, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look. And one parent in particular is a parent of, of several kids, I think five or six kids or something like that. And, and I think she raised her hand and said, sure, you know, send me the email. So he just, he forwarded the email. So the, the trick there was, you know, we sent an email to a pastor who didn't just ignore it. That's a big, big, rare thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. the, you know, when you send an email to pastors, when you send mail, you know, mails, mail outs or physical mail to pastors, like, trust me, I, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm an ordained pastor. I've used to pastor a small church in Port Orchard just by being a pastor on staff of a church and it can be a tiny church you get deluged with e with with postal mail right you get deluged with emails too uh just random things from people you don't know be like oh we've got this new way that you can collect tithes by you know charging people's credit cards and and we've got a you know do you want to update your you know church website we can help you with that and just you get these spam things all the time and then i'll get like flyers and advertisements and the fact that like I would get every year, I would get uh, at least, I don't know, six, seven, eight different colleges, Christian colleges, sending me info packets, you know, please pass this on to your, you know, your, your, your youth and graduating seniors and so forth. And so much of there's so much that comes in like that, that like the pastors are going to just ignore 98% of it. Like, unless it comes from somebody that they know, uh, you know, if, if, unless it's coming from somebody in their church, or it looks like a, you know, a person to person sort of correspondence, like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in your church. Can you tell me more about your church or something like that? Then maybe you get a chance of a response, but I've even tried that where, you know, I've emailed, you know, pastors, uh, on a one-to-one -one basis, not about quizzing, but just talking about their church and wanting to ask questions and want to engage. And oftentimes that goes into a black hole. Uh, you know, a lot of times pastors just aren't very responsive. They're sort of dealing with the very much here and now. And then, you know, to, on top of that, pastors are generally by and large, not particularly well organized, you know? And so you put all this together and it, it's just not a particularly great way of reaching out. But in this particular case, to his massive credit, uh, the youth pastor or senior pastor, or whoever it was at Kelso said, you know, I, I don't have time to really do anything with this, but I'll ask the congregation if anybody wants to, you know, pick this up. And that's awesome. I mean, that's probably the best case scenario that you can hope for. And it's, 
it's totally honestly awesome that he did that uh he or she did that and then on top of that there was a parent who was willing who had absolutely no idea what quizzing was thought it was kind of strange but was kind of like well you know we memorize you know some verses in our family as a family well maybe this will be a way to help my kids memorize more and she took the step of of saying yeah sure forward me the email and and I'll and I'll take a look I don't know that we can replicate this pattern, um, even though it worked in this one case. We're certainly going to continue to try to replicate the pattern, but I just don't know. I don't know how to scale that, right? I don't know either, but I also don't know. I mean, ideally, everything is something that you can scale, but I don't think this needs to scale very much for the trend to reverse quickly. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, because that's the thing. If we grow our district by one new church program a year, that's massive. I mean, that would be massive, massive. Um, and I would consider that to be a huge success, uh, for, for PW quizzing. So yeah, I mean, maybe we just keep doing this over and over again and scale just means we do, we convert one church a year. Yeah. Cause I'm not sure if CMD is the biggest district in CMA Bible quizzing, uh, Canadian Midwest, but I don't know if there are more than 300 quizzers. So, and, you know, they have a large geographic area and very strong denominational support. And so I don't, I don't know. I think if PNW grows to 150 or 175, I think it's already maybe one of the four to seven largest or strongest districts. And I think it, it could very quickly be top three um, through not a lot of scaling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how much do you think, uh, CMD's size is due to strong, uh, district level support? I will, I don't know. So this is all just conjecture, but I would imagine a lot. Hmm. Cause yeah, I got to believe you're right. Cause I mean, if, if a couple heads of your denomination, even just say to pastors, Hey, we think this is a good program. Um, most church programs are run by a parent, but if you're willing to talk about it a little bit, we think it's a good thing. I mean, that, frankly, that's all the support that could be necessary for for a program like this to grow um, quite a bit. Yeah, and it's 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 a communications channel that pastors will actually listen to as well. Um, that's something I think that's a a big deal. It's, it's trying to get the attention of the pastor who is bombarded with lots of different things. So, I mean, we could create a, uh, you know, a fantastic video and informational, informational video, and we could, you know, burn it to Blu-ray or whatever and send it out to all the pastors in the Pacific Northwest. And two of them might actually watch it. Uh, you know, I, in most of them, you know, it'll sit on their desk for, you know, a couple of months with all the good intentions of the world. And then we'll probably get tossed after that, you know, and that's probably just the reality of it. Um, but it, I, but something going back to something you did, you said earlier, I totally agree. I think the best candidates for the beginning of, of the, I think the way you begin a team is not so much with the pastors. Uh, but it's getting through the pastors to the parent, uh, or parents who are going to be supportive of the idea. Now in East Hills, we had everything work perfectly, right? We had a pastor who was totally willing, uh, to pass the information on to a parent. We had a parent, at least one parent who was interested in the information and raised her hand. And then we had 
uh, perspective quizzers, we had youth who, when they were told about the program, thought, this is really cool. And we're very interested and very eager to participate. And so you put all of that. Oh, and, and then the fourth thing we had, uh, beyond that, they also had a, a person in there as still have not present. It's not past tense. It's present tense. They had a person and have a person in their congregation who used to do coaching of Bible quizzing many, many years ago. And they reached out to her. And she said, sure, I'm willing to coach again. And so they had all of that happen <laughs> together. And so within a span of what was it like, I don't know, a month and a half or something, we went from zero to they're involved in quizzing, which is fantastic. But making all of those things happen again is going to be a, it's going to be a challenge. And if, if there were maybe five things that all happened together, I think you kind of need at least four of them to happen every time for a program to be born. You know, it's not like, oh, we just need two. I think you need four or maybe all five. I think, well, maybe. I think I have no empirical evidence to support this theory, but my theory is thus, that I think you need one, but ideally two parents who are willing to give it a go and willing to, to volunteer the time. And you need to have some number of, of youth, I don't know, three, four who are willing to give it a try. Uh, and, and, you know, they can be skeptically interested, but as long as they're willing to give it a try, I think that that's at the core of it, what, what you need. I don't think you necessarily have to have pastoral support. I think you, you certainly need to have the pastors not be in a position of wanting to kill the idea. So in other words, I think you need to have pastors be either good, you know, either pro quizzing or ambivalent. I think ambivalence to quizzing is completely fine. It's the sort of antagonisticness to quizzing that, that kind of shuts things down from the pastorate before it goes anywhere. But I think if you have those two things, right, the, 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 the parents and the potential quizzers both interested and willing to give it a try, I think at that point, you can make it work with support from the district. Um, and by, the, I mean the quizzing district. So, you know, people like Kaylee, people like myself, people like yourself, uh, folks who are willing to, you know, train and mentor and equip and all that kind of stuff. If you have that in place, I think you can make it work. Probably so. In theory, but I have no empirical evidence to support this theory. Well, with that said, why don't we move on to uh, Great West? Uh, so we have some dates for Great West coming up April 3rd through 5th. It's going to be at Crow's Nest Lake Bible Camp. Same place it's been the last three years, two years at least. I'm not sure. At least three, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, it's a good location. It's, uh, you know, up in the Canadian Rockies. It's pretty. It's uh, got a great uh, uh, main hall area and dorm space for folks to sleep in. So it's uh, fun. And the, 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 the travel is not super long. It only takes us a couple of days to get there. And we stay overnight in Coeur d'Alene, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Northern Idaho, uh, on our way up. Uh, through the border. And one of the things we wanted to talk about here was uh, what are some theories and best practices around Great West team formation and kind of the models therein? So Scott, what are your thoughts on this one? So I first want to talk about stats. So most districts have, um, well, every district has some way of selecting quizzers for their Great West teams and for their internationals team. And usually that involves accruing of averages throughout the whole year with 
different weights here and different weights there. And at one point, PNW counted Great West as part of this, so part of the end-of-the-year average formula. Now, it was a small weight. It was just 5% out of the 100%, but I think it, it served a nice purpose in that when you are looking to differentiate quizzers for the purpose of international selection, how they did at Great West is maybe more important than how they did at any other district meet. But it makes things – there are cons on the team side. So when we formed Great West teams one year when I was a quizzer, uh, quizzer number one was on a team with 10, 11, 20, and 21. So kind of a snake format. And so quizzers 5, 6, 15, 16, and 25 were on a team. Well, I was sixth, and so I was on the team with quizzer 5. And so we were competing against each other during all of Great West because it mattered for international selection purposes. And that probably wasn't the intent to have teammates not really talking strategy because they were competing against each other. And so I think that's a fairly large con of doing it that way. But it would be nice to be able to gather data that counts for international selection purposes at a meet like Great West. Um, I know that CMD has something, I believe they call it districts, which sounds amazing, where they bring the top 12 or 20 quizzers together and they quiz against each other for a day and are scored on all kinds of things as far as dominance within a question type, um, smart jumping, accuracy, all kinds of things that I think is wonderful. has great incentives. It's a great test. And so something like that you could have alongside Great West and not count Great West individual averages for anything in your district, which I think is best. Um, so currently we don't count anything from Great West for our quizzers' individual averages within our district. And as such, it means that we are very freed up to as to how we create teams because if you're counting averages, you kind of have to try to make every team equal via a very strict process. So I think that kind of snaking 1 to 5, 6 through 10, 11 through 15 is the best way to do it because you don't want to put the best five quizzers on a team because then they're all kind of handicapped relative to the other 20 quizzers because it's going to be much harder for those for that really strong team for any one of them to do very well individually. But if we're not having to make teams even or anything like that, then we can choose whatever criteria or goal we feel is most important. So one thing that PNW has done is put the top four quizzers on a team or the top four and then the next four on the top two teams as really a preparation for internationals. So if the internationals coach is going to be coaching at Great West, they'll coach that team, and it's kind of to start their preparation. Another one is to just, there's no specific process as to how you create the teams, but we're just trying to create the teams that work best together. So the five quizzers we deem to be the best captains will be split up. We'll try to split up any special specialties. And I think, in theory, that sounds really, really nice, but in practice... The time from when we know the 20 quizzers going to when Great West happens is very, very short. And if you're going to have a completely subjective process with probably a lot of cooks in the kitchen, it can be very difficult to get that done in in a good manner, which is really the only con to doing it that way because you do like to split up specialties and split up uh, seniorities as much as possible. So I think PNW recently has kind of done a hybrid where I think we've put the top – yeah, we've put the top four – on one team for the last couple of years at Great West. And then for the rest of them, we try to make them as even as possible and split up those specialties and seniorities as best we can. But there's a lot of different ways to do that. 
We also have been doing four-person teams for a while. I think it's undeniable that five-person teams are stronger just because there's more people. You have the opportunity to get a fifth-person bonus. Um, you can sit quizzers that have an air, make sure that quiz everyone on the stage can get you a bonus or doesn't have an air, things like that. But it does it definitely adds an extra responsibility for a coach. And we definitely want Great West to be this reward that, that quizzers are striving for. And part of the reward can be you're going to be on the stage the whole time. And that totally makes sense. I very much love five-person team quizzing and would just love for that to be what happens. But I think there are lots of positives on the other side. So I talked a lot about averages, team formation, goals of that. Any thoughts, Griffin? Well, no. I mean, I, I suppose I have my opinions on what I think works better or not for different reasons. I mean, going back to what's going to encourage the most number of quizzers to memorize the most number of verses, I like four versus five because I think at the Great West level, it uh, it gives you the opportunity for everybody to be on the stage all the time um, rather than having to dynamically sit somebody in and out and that sort of stuff. I think there you, you are going to take a small, you know, scoring penalty by not having that fifth, fifth person available. But I think it's at the great West level, it's small enough that the value of not having to balance the sub is actually an improvement. Um, I really love the idea of stacking the, you know, top four quizzers on team one with the internationals coach as kind of the internationals preview in a sense. It may not exactly be those four people that are on the five person team that goes to internationals, but it probably is, uh, or certainly very highly likely. And so having that as kind of a early test case to, to kind of give the internationals team or potential internationals team a little bit of extra, you know, time together and fellowship together, I think is a really positive thing. Beyond that, I mean, I think uh, as bizarre as it sounds, uh, the two day road trip uh, going up and the gigantic monster one day road trip trip going back on Sunday is a really fun part of Great West. And I say this as an adult who travels on this, you know, kind of thing, you know, the kids usually have an even uh, a vastly more fun time than the adults do. And I think it's still a lot of fun for adults to be able to go on this trek. Uh, it's a great opportunity for fellowship. A lot of dis wonderful discussions take place. A lot of uh, friendships develop uh, that are just way deeper than ever uh, takes place at the district level. And uh, that's just a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Absolutely. I don't know what else to add. I just think there's a lot of ways to do it. And it would be fun to talk to other people who have been involved with making these sorts of decisions for their district and why they settled on what they did and what they did that they'll never do again and all things like that. Yeah, I'd love to learn from mistakes. I don't think that we've ever like we've made small iterative improvements in P&W, but I don't know that we would ever I don't know that we've ever really looked at any way that we've done it and said, wow, that was a, that was a huge mistake. I just, it's more, you know, making these tiny changes to say like, well, would this make, you know, a 2% improvement here, another 2% improvement over there, that kind of thing. But I could it, be wrong. Yeah. Like in that year that I was sixth and the fifth place quiz was on my team, we were nice to each other. We just didn't talk strategy like you would expect teammates to talk at a meet like that. You know, yeah, we just, we yeah, just, yeah. just kind of went about our business. <laughs> Yeah, did did uh, did your job and moved on from there. And as it would turn out, we got the exact same average at the meet. So 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, then uh, after Great West, we have district championships at uh, the P&W level. And then following that, we have internationals, IBQ, International Bible Quizzing. This year, it is going to be July 6th through 11th with folks arriving on the 6th and departing on the 11th. And it's going to be located at Crown College, which is in Minnesota at a town called Bonneville. St. St. Bonavacious? Bonavacious, yeah. That sounds that sounds appropriately Catholic. Um something like that. I'm sure that's Bonifacious. Bonifacious. Bonifacious, Minnesota. Anyway, Crown College, uh Christian College uh over there. And at this point, unfortunately, that is all I know about internationals. Uh, I have not received any announcements yet about it. Uh, I just read off the CMA website that that's when and where it's going to be. But uh, stay tuned. We will have more coming up shortly. Well, Scott, any other sort of ideas on either Great West or internationals or evangelism? Well, even if there's not a lot of info about internationals, it's been at Crown very often. And so I would expect most things to be fairly similar to the last few times it's been at Crown, logistically speaking. And so I wouldn't expect any crazy surprises. Well, what are some of those logistics? Well, just like um, what flights cost. So flying into Twin Cities is is nice and not a smaller kind of non-hub. Whatever they were charging for registration is probably going to be similar. You know, if we were going to a new location – who knows what that venue was charging or what the set, the financial setup was. Um, dorms at Crown College. So I'm trying to remember what they provided. I think they provided linens, but no pillows, blankets, or towels. You know, so things like that where, you know, you want to be aware of if you're coaching a team. Because we asked in advance, are you going to be providing blankets? And they said yes. And then we showed up and they weren't. And they said, you have to figure it out. Um, but... You know, just kind of if you're flying to internationals, that's going to be a big cost. So flying into Twin Cities is nice. Ground transportation should be – you should have lots of options, and the registration for the meet should be similar to what it's been less, you know, previous times. And if there are coaches that have gone before and you know, like, we want to go to – I think it's Six Flags or we like to go to these restaurants, that's all going to be the same. So. Very cool. Well, in Great West this year is going to be virtually identical in every way to the way Great West was last year. We are going to basically have the same sort of van pool situation. We're going to meet up with the uh, Oregon teams in the same way that we did last time uh, in Moses Lake. We're going to end up uh, staying the night in Coeur d'Alene at the same hotel. We're going to travel up uh, through Sandpoint and into Canada through uh, Cranbrook, uh, just exactly the same way that we've done before. We're going to have the same days, Thursday, Friday, going up. Uh, quizzing is going to be the same, uh, same location, of course, probably the same quiz rooms. Uh, we're going to end up, uh, uh, staying the night, uh, Saturday and coming back Sunday morning, fairly early, right after breakfast, uh, in a giant long road trip. Uh, so all basically everything from last year is pretty much going to be exactly the same, uh, this year going through. 
Uh, hopefully the roads stay clear. Uh, they were uh, clear for us uh, last year. We did get some snow uh, when we were up there uh, on Friday night. I think maybe, or maybe it was Saturday night. One of the two nights we got snow, but fortunately it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, slow us down at all in terms of our travel. So that was nice. And otherwise it was fairly uneventful. So hopefully the same sort of thing happens again. Yeah. I remember we got a lot of snow on Saturday. So a couple quizmasters wanted to take off a little bit early because they were driving across Canada in some very snowy conditions. And so I got to be quizmaster for room one for finals, which was awesome. And then the roads were fine by the next morning for us to drive home, us less accustomed to the crazy snow. So it was great. Awesome. That's totally cool. Well, so uh, we should probably close it there. I wanted to, of course, encourage everybody to please email us. Uh, we love hearing from folks. In fact, uh, in fact, we actually got an email, was it last week or the week before, we got an email from one of the quizzers, I think it was in CMD. Uh, I think it or was. No, was it, or Western Canada? No, it was CMD. It had to have been from CMD, I think. I don't remember. It was one of the, it was, it was, uh, I'm sorry, I completely forgot what district you were in, but, but we got an email from a, from a listener up there and that was fantastic. We love hearing from folks who are listening uh, from far and wide. So please email us if you have any questions or especially if you have any disagreements or if you have any additional ideas of any, uh, around any of the tops, the topics that we've been talking about, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at IQ at CBQZ.org. And of course, uh, please follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter account is at Inside Quizzing. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening and thank you, Scott. It was definitely CMD. It was Luke from CMD. So thanks for emailing us and happy listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>